We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Crazy quarterback decisions and how that will impact teams now and in the future. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, it was a weather-addled semifinals week. I probably watched less of the games than I have in any week all season. Actually, I think that's a certainty because it was also the holiday weekend. Had a good time with family. How was your holiday weekend? It was good. It was good. Had some family in town. Recorded all the games as usual. Worked through them at my leisure. And they were fun. I mean, they were a lot of explosive plays and explosive games this week. Colin Kelly and I were, I'll say, lucky enough because I mean, you always have to admit the role of good fortune in all of these tournaments to score 197 without Jalen Hurts in our Superflex best ball tournament over at the FFPC and advance to the finals there. We're pretty excited now. Now our big hope is that Derrick Henry does not sit in Week 17 because of the scenario that the Tennessee Titans are currently facing, but you've got guys like Justin Jefferson, obviously Devonte Smith, T Higgins blowing up. And then, then my favorite and definitely Colin's favorite TJ Hawkinson putting up that 40 point game. That was a lot of fun. So another game in which you're have some exposure to Vikings. You do well, have some exposure to Eagles. You do well. Gardner Minshew comes in and even though, the Eagles lose, they definitely move the ball. And you get a lot of Devontae Smith. You have A.J. Brown successful. You have Dallas Goddard looking good as he comes back. And then you have the flip side of that where the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb, I think really cementing himself truly in that elite tier of receivers this week. So a lot of fun things that happened. But on the other side of the coin, you have games in weather that were brutal for fantasy managers, brutal for fans, brutal teams i mean cleveland browns are an easy team to root against but your heart still can't help but go out to you know someone like an amari cooper as he's trying to catch that game tying touchdown and wide open no one around him accurate pass his feet go out from under him in the ice and snow it's going to be tough to to bring that one in we had the games in decent weather or in domes where you have these fun shootouts and they really bring us the best of football and you have the games and the weather that just, frankly, are pretty frustrating. Yeah, we talked all year about how the things in the playoffs might not be what we had seen all season. Uh, the weather, I think, only 
exaggerated that. He talked about the Cowboys-Eagles game that ended up being fantastic as a result. CeeDee Lamb, monster week. Or not necessarily as a result. He, he creates that to some degree. But he was a really interesting discussion point among the second tier of receivers with Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams all year. And Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams have been just wildly better all year. And even still are significantly better if you look at you know scoring for the season. They completely disappear here in these final couple of weeks in weather games and and CD Lamb has a monster game and it becomes a thing where you you almost wish you had CD Lamb and, and got him to the semifinals. You certainly do if you could have got there, right? If your team was very dependent on Diggs or Adams to get there, obviously you wouldn't have got there without them. But if you get all the way here and those guys have a bad week, it contributes to you going out in the semifinals. That's a huge bummer, obviously. Um Several other players like that. Josh Jacobs has had his two worst weeks of the year or, or worst two-week stretch of the year. And he was a big name all fantasy season. There's been a lot of you know similar players. And then there's been guys like you know Cam Akers suddenly looks like his pre-injury form over the last few weeks, ends up with a three-touchdown game in a, you know, a fair-weather situation, even though, I mean, the Rams are not good or anything, but they, they were able to score 50 points this week as – some of the best offenses in the league can't even hit 30. Right. And, and I mean, it ends up being a pretty massive disparity in terms of how players are impacted by these team level situations, right? The chiefs didn't throw for I think for like 250 yards or something in their really cold weather game. Um, talk about that. And then you think about, okay, well, how does that impact the players on the chiefs? I mean, it has a pretty big impact. No one other than Travis Kelsey able to go at all in that game. So I mean, the flip side of it again is that, it does even insulate Kelsey more. And so what you're seeing now, when you look across leaderboards almost everywhere, you're seeing Kelsey Mahomes teams. And that does make sense, obviously. I mean, he, those are the players who got you there in the first place. And now you've got Kelsey after this little bit of a downstretch has picked it back up. And he's now still on a, a four game, I believe, touchdown drought after he was putting up, you know, video game numbers in the touchdown department earlier. But when you're in this environment, as you just described, and it's tough. When you go to your star, they still can't stop him. He racks up the numbers that, especially in tight end premium, you know, get you there. They do, but I mean, it is also worth noting. I mean, in some of the formats were too advanced. You had to be the top scorer. I mean, some of the underdog tournaments and stuff. It's worth noting that there were some real peak tight end weeks from other guys these last couple of weeks. Evan Ingram's been great. TJ Hawkinson, you just mentioned, had a monster week this week. There have been lots of people messaging me saying that they got in right at the end with Tyler Higby's second touchdown. Tyler Higby, a monster week. Those types of guys outscoring Travis Kelsey does kind of flip. Kelsey still scored, and, and you're right that there are still some really strong Kelsey teams out there. But it does flip part of what his value has been all year is that he's been able to create such an advantage over the position, and suddenly we're getting ceiling tight end games that we haven't got all season. I mean, that hasn't existed, and, and now they do. So – it's been a wild, a wild fantasy playoffs. Sean, our team with Mac Jones, we, we talked about this last week, Jalen Hurts team goes out, it's in the FFPC, main event championship, was in the top 100 after the first week. We had to start Mac Jones because of Jalen Hurts being out. He ends up getting 20 points. He gets a deflected Hail Mary touchdown, uh, not even intended for Jacoby Myers, but Jacoby Myers comes down with it. It was fantastic. We were all excited. Unfortunately, we didn't get a lot of ceiling games elsewhere. We have A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill on that team. They're outscored by their very talented number two receivers on those rosters or on those NFL rosters. We don't get a ceiling game out of Christian McCaffrey, who's our first-round pick on that team. 
luckily they let him score that last touchdown needlessly. That was that was great. Yeah. So we're still, I mean, we're we're inside the top 250 now. We have slid a little bit after uh weeks 13 to 15. We talked about this in the show. We averaged 195 points per game on the dot. We were about like 130 or whatever it was this week, 125, much lower. Definitely slid a little bit. We were 41 points maybe out of 50th. And um, again, you mentioned the 195. We were 120-ish this week. You jump back to 170, certainly 190, 200. You can make that push. I'd love to get in the top one, the top 50. Yeah, that'd be great. We're still in contention for something like that. I was looking at some of our lineup stuff. We played Mostert over James Cook. We kind of talked about James Cook a little bit. That cost us some points. We ended up playing Garrett Wilson on Thursday night, another weather situation. He gets the nine targets. He has paths to scoring points, especially late. There's a fourth down pass to him that, I mean, I thought might be it. Several opportunities. He gets a, a, a ball kicked out for a fumble that takes away a late drive after they had finally moved away from Zach Wilson. We had Drake London on the bench there. If we had played James Cook and London in those spots, and they were spots that we discussed a little bit at least, uh, we would be in the top 100 just with those extra like 20 points. So it's it's very tight in these tournaments, but we ended up sliding a little bit. But real quick, Ben, here, somebody who is doing quite well, we're going to have a special guest on Friday. Yes, the Go Bills guys that won the FFPC main event last year. I mean, honestly, like – kind of annoyed because there's a lot of people trying to win this stuff. You'd think they would just like save it for everyone else, but they are in first place again by double. Yeah, stop being so greedy. Yeah. It's real, real selfish. If you ask me, they are going to, um, we're going to have at least Dom on Friday or our recording Friday. I think it'll be a Saturday release to discuss Probably that Friday team, after. to discuss some of the FFPC main event format, which has been something that you and I have obviously talked a lot about over the last couple of years and playing a lot. I want to pick their brains a little bit. Dom has been, you know, a listener of the show and a subscriber over at Stealing Signals and Rotoviz. I know he subscribes to a lot of places. We chat a little bit. I got a chance to meet those guys down in Vegas, all three of them. They're awesome dudes. Really, really cool guys. Couldn't happen to better guys. But it's just, I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment to be in first place again. They're going to be playing for back-to-back titles and a million-dollar first-place prize this week if they can get one more big week out of their team. So it'll be fun to have him on. Well, if it's a million dollars, Ben, the number one, play FFPC main event. It's a lot of fun. But also, they could just add us on as honorary members. They have enough money to, to split. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> it's like, we'll throw in our thousand if we get in the top 100. And they, they Yeah, we'll, we'll split everything. I like that. I like that. Sean, I, I had some ideas for today's show. I mean, there's a lot of fantasy-related stuff we could talk about, and we will on the Friday show. Going into championship week, but I am really interested in some of the real NFL discussions that are out there right now. The first one that really piqued my interest this week, we'll make it the win bet segment of the week. Sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100, download the win bet app now, or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Is the Denver Broncos, they fire Nathaniel Hackett this week. Everyone is talking about how Russell Wilson has this massive contract, and, and Denver's screwed now. No no coach wants this job because, or this is the discussion, at least on social media, because it's uh, a, basically an impossible spot to win. You're coming into a spot where Russell Wilson is locked in with a massive contract, massive amounts of dead money, and looked terrible all year. And for anyone who watched him, I mean, there's differing opinions 
And, and I, I get the impression, I, I, again, I, I always kind of hate to be the guy that's like, did you even watch the games? But, I mean, I bet on these guys a few times, thinking that Russ was showing things at times and was turning things around. And he was bad consistently all season. He never did turn anything around. There, I wrote about him every week and stealing signals. Oh, hey, we're seeing something here this week. He threw a couple touchdowns. Anytime you thought that Russ was playing better football this year, he just came back the next week and was as bad as ever. They were terrible all season. It all started with Russ. I mean, you can you can blame some on Nathaniel Hackett. I don't care how bad the offense is. There was a lot of situations with wide open Jerry Judy routes and Russ just not even being close. He looked really, really, really bad. And so it's a, the the interesting element here, without trying to dive into that too much, there's it, we know Sean. There's a lot of uncertainty in football. There's a possibility that Russ just had a weird year, but I'm just trying to emphasize that this was a long season and a lot of games, and it was bad for a long time. There is a possibility he turns it around. I'm not saying he's completely done for his whole career, but the discussion is really interesting because it's a really unique situation where they just signed him this massive deal. They're barely into it. They don't really have outs anywhere. But they cut him. This offseason, it's a massive amount of dead cap. If they cut him next offseason, it's a massive amount of dead cap. The one really interesting thing when I was seeing some of the – I mean, there, I've seen opinions that they just need to cut him this year, get it over with, peel the, the Band-Aid off, and it'll help their you know, their, their culture and everything. You kind of understand that, but it, it like it, it is legitimately just a, a mass – it will cost them – like instead of freeing up any cap, it would actually, I think, create negative cap ramifications, how that happens sometimes because the dead cap's so big and gets accelerated that it would just like, it would be massive. And and there's other people that have said they, you know, you look at Matt Ryan, the the, the Falcons ate like 40 million or something to trade him this off season, that things can be done. I think obviously situation one, if they could find a way to trade him, they probably would prefer to do that. I doubt there's a lot of people that are lining up to trade for him. I mean, even the worst franchises in the league. And we saw Carson Wentz get traded this off season. Russ is a different story with this massive, massive contract. The one thing when I went to dig into it um, from the other side of it, where other people are saying, well, they're just screwed. They have to hire someone who can now help Russ get better. Is that after 2023 on the, on the fifth day of the 2024 league year, Russ's entire 2025 contract becomes guaranteed or salary uh, annual salary becomes guaranteed. If they were to cut him before that, they have a ton of dead money. Or if they were to trade him or something, still a ton of dead money. But basically what I've suggested is they are he was already bad enough this year that I think you want to start planning for we're going to cut him before that deadline because we don't want to guarantee his 2025 salary and add more money, right? And a lot of these deals, this type of fifth league, day of the league year, future guarantee, a lot of these deals are, are considered sort of likely guarantees already because it's so hard to cut them prior to it. It's structured in a way where you can't get out of the deal before that deadline anyway. So you are probably going to have that 2025 year guaranteed. I do think with the Broncos, there's this interesting element where like, I don't understand NFL contracts to a T at all, but assuming I have this right, my proposition, Sean, and I'm curious your thoughts, but my proposition is they should be this off season planning to be cutting him next offseason he is a sunk cost they should play him next year they got to pay him regardless but essentially make moves this offseason to jumpstart the post russell wilson rebuild 
which could start a lot of dead money in 2024, but it could start as soon as like 2025. And you could be playing a lot of young players in 2024. And even in 2023, and basically putting Russ out there with very limited options around him. Guys like Jerry Judy, who's in the last year of his deal, they're going to have to make a fifth-year option decision this offseason. He's going to be doing an extension you know, probably in two years if they pick up that fifth-year option. That's the kind of guy that I think needs to be traded for any type of future assets. To, I mean, what else can you do if you're Denver is sort of where I'm going with this. And I don't know. I, I think it's a, an interesting discussion to think about what would you do if you were in this position? I mean, this is a team that everyone pretty much universally agrees is in the worst spot in the NFL right now. No one's going to want to come coach this team. What can they do over the next five years? And I, I would guess, or I would argue, the worst thing they could possibly do is to try to make it work with Russ and extend – what they should have already learned this year. I, I think there's an advantage to acting now. Yeah, there are so many layers of this that are interesting. I think that the number one thing you have to do, and, and already some of the comments from the press conference are disconcerting in terms of how they're going to go about this. But I think that you have to make a good hire. And that's, I mean, obviously that's just pretty straightforward. But there are a lot of things that go into this to where I'm always kind of surprised when teams make obviously bad decisions because there's so much information out there right now about what you need to do to be successful. And you should have a lot of information on the various coaching candidates that you're looking at. And you need to bring someone in who is young, who is accomplished, and who has the temperament to rebuild the team who has the leadership qualities to rebuild the team has the patience to rebuild the team and that you know these things and you can make a large enough commitment to them that they can take the long view now we're going to talk about the commanders here in the second half of the show which is uh, an interesting issue in terms of the mixed incentives the different people in the organization have and how that leads to bad choices with the Broncos, you've got to remove that to where everyone has the same incentives over the next three or four years to be successful. Well, so kind of starting back from the beginning of this question of where is Wilson? What would you do with him? Like, How would you rehabilitate him? Because really, I think the questions that you have to answer first are, number one, is he as bad as he's looked under this horrific coaching staff? And how would you fix him if you were going to keep him? And how would you kind of spin fixing him to a potential trade partner because you really need to move him in a trade. And so those issues that you mentioned show up very clearly in all of the different stats. You mentioned how he's got Jerry Judy wide open, can't hit him. You pull up the advanced stat explorer and you see that his on-target percentage this season is only better than Marcus Mariota, Davis Mills, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson. That's not a group that being above gives any confidence. I mean, that's the bottom of the barrel there. The other thing that we can see is that he goes to Denver and he's in an offense that's a bad fit for his skills, but also in part a bad fit for what he wants in that part of this was of his own making is that he wanted to run an offense that doesn't fit what he can actually do. And one of the things you put the advanced yards per attempt tool which gives you all kinds of information beyond just that but you can look at wilson where he's been successful where he's been unsuccessful you can look at previous years where he's efficient almost everywhere and then look at 2022 and you can see this inefficient basically everywhere the only area of the field where he's still been dynamic this season are deep passes to the right 
But one of the other things that jumps out is that his underneath passing has been apocalyptically bad. It's not been an area where he's ever been a star, but this idea that he's going to be able to get the ball out quickly and that will work, that hasn't come to fruition in any way, shape, or form. But also his efficiency over the middle on passes 0 to 15 yards, the efficiency there has hit rock bottom, but also the, the percentage of passes there has been cut almost in half. And so you're not targeting this area of the field that can be efficient for you. We've discussed the middle of the field and, and his deep middle is also just extraordinarily bad. You talk about the offensive line, his height, the inability to throw some of those passes, those things jumping out even more as he ages and as he's in an offense that's a bad fit for him. And kind of looking into some of these things, I ran across an article at The Ringer by Stephen Ruiz. I think, Ben, you've mentioned him before. Some cool information there. One of the things that he notes is that their shotgun play action plays were cut by almost 50% over what he did the previous three seasons with the Seahawks. So they're not getting the benefit of some of the most efficient plays that Russell Wilson could potentially run. And then as we think of like what he can do in the future and has out his scrambling numbers have declined. The other problem that he has, which has kind of always been the case for him, but is massively exaggerated if he doesn't have all these deep strikes to offset it. The Broncos are middle of the pack in terms of allowing pressure, but Wilson is in the top five in terms of sack percentage. So he turns a lot higher percentage of his pressures into sacks than almost any other quarterback in the NFL. We know that about it, but as he gets older now, I mean, how do you fix any of those things? So if you're not an accurate passer, if you can't throw over the middle, if you can't do a quick passing attack as you try to evolve as a passer, you know, you can't be a Kurt Warner or a Peyton Manning as those guys get older and you can't be a Tom Brady. And then you're also delivering all these negative plays. I mean, how, how do you fix those things? And I think that a better offense for him will mitigate some of the weaknesses but the idea that he can ever be a positive factor in your offense as opposed to a caretaker or someone that you're just hoping doesn't ruin it i mean those are different things and so uh, we talk about these teams who are looking for quarterbacks it's a different story to take a risk on someone you think could be maybe mediocre which is essentially what the commanders did with Carson Wentz they're saying when this guy could be mediocre that'd be an upgrade for us the contract elements make it almost impossible to take that risk with Wilson you mentioned watching him and just how all of those numbers that I just mentioned are just so obviously manifest as you watch a Broncos game do you feel like any of those individual elements can be fixed or mitigated to the point where he could be a league average quarterback for two or three seasons? Maybe. I think this is really interesting because, I mean, I went into my whole spiel. I'm kind of assuming that they wouldn't be able to find a trade partner. One of the issues is they gave him a ton of guaranteed money. Not a lot of that has been paid out. Whether they cut him or trade him, they have a ton. Like, even if they were to trade him this offseason, they have a massive amount of dead money on the cap, which is all prorated guarantees through 2028 on this contract. I mean, basically after 2024 is when that number gets down to like 50 million of dead money. After 2023, it's like 70 million after 2022. 
it's up over 80 million, which is a lot. <laughs> if they were to cut him, it'd be like up over 100 million, I think, after this year, based on over the cap. Who, who does great work with uh, with contracts? I don't always have it analyzed correctly. It's a lot of you know a lot of nuts and bolts. But your idea that they should be as a long term plan, essentially number one, trying to make things better for him. I love that point about the shotgun play action snaps being way down and how that could potentially help if they got a new coach in there maybe they can make him look more competent maybe that then opens a window for a trade in 2024 20, oh, you know the, the not this coming off season but the off season following you would want to be making that trade again early because again this this idea that i feel like they're now already on a deadline is my main point uh, that early part of the 2024 league year his base salary for the 2025 season is 37 million more, and that becomes fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the 2024 league year. So they have basically a year. That's like March is the first few days of the of the NFL league year. We're talking about not this coming March, but the March following. Can they fix him enough to trade him by them? That would be the ideal scenario, right? I mean, they would still take dead money in the form of guarantees, much like the Matt Ryan trade, but they would also be off the hook on, you know other elements of it if they were to trade him next offseason they wouldn't have to pay him necessarily you know for example his 2024 salary which would go to the acquiring team the scenario i'm talking about where they cut him prior to 2024 they're still paying him his 2024 salary uh they're just not guaranteeing his 2025 salary this i i i'm getting too much into the contract stuff but this idea of trying to rehabilitate him enough to be able to trade him i think does make a lot of sense I mean, I think that's obviously the preferred option. Now, can they do it as the question that you posed to me? I mean, he was bad this year. Like, I, I just, I don't know how else to, to put that. Probably a lot of it was Nathaniel Hackett. I can certainly see scenarios where Russell Wilson isn't this bad for the rest of his career. But how much would you have to rehabilitate it, frankly, to get to a position where somebody would be willing to, to take on this contract and think favorably of him. And then secondly, some of it wasn't Nathaniel Hackett. When you talk about the play and you're asking me sort of my thoughts on it, I, I there were a lot of throws this year where he was from clean pockets and open spots and, and just completely missing. And we saw that late last season. After he broke his hand and he came back, he suddenly wasn't – I mean, he was always the picturesque accurate, accuracy guy. I mean, pinpoint accuracy. Suddenly would be throwing checkdowns 10 yards over wide open, you know, guys on the sideline for dump-offs, and it would go flying over their heads. He missed a lot of throws at the tail end of 2021. I chalked that up to the hand, broken hand, returning too quickly. I mean, if you remember the 2021 storylines, it was that his hand had been broken in a way that – Doctors had never seen before, but also he returned so fast because he, you know, has this incredible rehab me mentality or whatever. That was like sort of the whole storyline around him. But then when he came back, he was just sort of fat the rest of the year. Part of me wonders if that never actually healed correctly or what have you and has really actually impacted him into 2022 because he's continued to just miss throws like that that he never used to miss by that much, at least, in, in watching him for a lot of years with the Seahawks. I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess there are two discussions because one is, yes, you should want to be trying to find a trade suitor. I think the other is you should be planning for not being able to trade him 
and what can you do to prepare for cutting him and eating? I mean, if you cut him on the fifth league, the fifth day of the 2024 league year, you're still eating, eating like $80 million. Like I was saying, you're just making sure you don't guarantee another 37 million on top of that into 2025. And you're eating all that for 2024. You're basically throwing away the next two seasons already, but I don't really see any way that you get around that. Denver's not going to compete in 2023 or 2024 unless Russell Wilson suddenly plays massively different, which the way that he completely fell off, some people that I've had, you know, reply to me on Twitter and stuff believe it could flip that quickly. You don't, you don't be as good as he was for as long as he was and then play this bad without still having the ability to play good. I don't know. It's a, what do you think? Do you think he can play better than this next season? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You would hope that the struggles this year would inject a healthy amount of humility into his process because one of the elements with him has reportedly been a process that you know can rub coaches and teammates the wrong way. He, after this season, is obviously no longer the star. He's just a guy with the team who happens to have a contract that forces you to play him. He needs to be a guy who is trying to fight back in the same way that you know, you're getting from Mr. Irrelevant or you're getting from an unproven first or second year player or some guy like a Marcus Mariota or a Geno Smith where they're coming in, they're fighting for their NFL careers. If you get that mentality from him and he wants to run the offense of a new genius coordinator who gets him in a lot of positive situations, I still think he can throw the ball well enough if you can get him out on the edge and if you can run the ball enough and effectively enough. And one of the things that's unfortunate there is you're talking about already injecting a play style that limits the ceiling, but you're going to have to take a lot of the responsibility off of him and you're going to have to get him repeatedly in good plays. And if you surround him with the talent, if they could stay a little bit healthier, if you actually use Albert O, if KJ Hamler comes back and can be a little bit of a deep threat. I mean, those things probably are, you know, lottery ticket kinds of moves in the same way that actually having Wilson play well would be, but you have a Cortland Sutton, you have a Jerry Judy. If you were to get a Tim Patrick back, you could do some of those things. I think that you have to make a hire that makes that look possible to facilitate any sort of possibility of a trade. You know, you've got to create some leverage for yourself and some belief that, okay, well, the Broncos have put this together. They think that they can do this because really what their options are, I think, are to 
cut him or release him this season. And so if you have a release that's, you know, that qualifies under the post June 1st, you have 39 million dead cap in 2023, 68 million dead cap in 2024, and the cap savings for this year is negative 17 million. If you could trade him with a post June 1st designation, you would have dead cap of 14 million this year, 68 million the following year, and actually a cap savings of 8 million. So that would be what you need to do. In order to do that, you're obviously going to have to kick other things in, like money and what have you. You might even have to kick in a young player like a Javante Williams. But as you mentioned, I mean, this is a complete and total rebuild now. And that's one of the reasons why everyone has to be on the same page and create incentives that are in line because this is a three four five six year process once you've gotten yourself into this position really a similar risk to what the cleveland browns are dealing with although with wilson having the full year i mean you're much more certain that you're in that situation than obviously the browns are it's going to take a while to come back out of it and so while you're going to have to kick in money and you're going to have to kick in other types of incentives to move Wilson. I think the reason why it's possible to move Wilson is that there are always either weaker teams or equally as bad teams. And you think of teams like the Falcons, like the Texans, like the Colts, like the Commanders. I mean, there are going to be teams next season that are both very poorly run and need a quarterback. And so those give you some multiple opportunities. It doesn't mean any of those individual teams. I mean, they can be poorly run and still obviously turn down Russell Wilson because it's pretty straightforward. But you have opportunities. You have to set it up in a way where you start to look confident. And just that gives you a big edge. But you're looking at needing to move Cortland Sutton, needing to move Tim Patrick. You're going to have to move a ton of guys. And what you want to do is tear it down to the bare bones, get something back in some of these trades, take the cap hits, work through that, come back out in two to three years with a lot of cap space and a lot of picks, knowing that the interim is going to be is going to be bad. And one of the things that's important about hiring the right coach and having the right messaging and having everybody on the same page is that you have to be able to sell it to the fan base as well, that even though we're bad, we have a plan in place that could leave us coming out of it looking like the New York Jets look now. I mean, the New York Jets look amazing despite having Zach Wilson and whatever they're trying to do at quarterback, right? You come out of that and you've got this star team. You contrast that with the Houston Texans where they've been in this multi-year rebuild where, I mean, they've got a lot of picks and they're consistently drafting players that don't help you. And there's no... If you're going to like scapegoat a new head coach every year, that doesn't sell it to the fan base. If there's no guiding philosophy and evidence-based mindset that will allow you to come out with a power team, then fans are going to hate the whole thing. And it just becomes, you know, a year or a decade <laughs> or stretching out almost, you know, to eternity where it's a miserable again it's just apocalyptic situation in denver so really you got to have the right people hiring you got to have the right mindset hiring and you've got to pick the right guy and look at it from the long term and be able to message the fans to have a to have a, a press conference that is a disaster right on the heels of all this other stuff that's not the right start right it's not it's not looking great and 
you know, I, I probably got way too deep into a lot of the, the actual details, but I agree with you entirely. I think the main point that I want to make, they are in a position right now where they need to be honest with themselves about what they have. And it's not a, a great outlook for the next couple of years. Obviously it is for most observers, as I noted, the worst outlook of any team in the entire NFL at this point now, and they need to, Try to put a plan in place to address that starting now, as opposed to continuing to head down this path. The head coach could improve the situation, right? But I I think too, too often teams don't look honestly at where they are and what they have in front of them and what their path ahead of them is going to mean. And then they delay it and they kick it down. I mean, I guess the example I would give here is the Minnesota Vikings, which I've had a, an issue now multiple times with them. I didn't really care about their first three-year deal with Kirk Cousins. That was like, I think, almost fully guaranteed because it was a relatively short-term deal. They had a team that was built to win immediately. Case Keenum had just got them to the NFC Championship. They felt like if they were improving from Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins at quarterback, they had the chance to win over this three-year span. What they did then is to free up cap, they extended Kirk Cousins multiple times at really high numbers. Now, the Vikings are an interesting example because they are currently winning their division. They are looking like they're going to be good in the playoffs. I think a lot of people are arguing that they're not actually a Super Bowl contender. It will be very interesting. Maybe they will win and prove this entire argument wrong. But my point would be that what they have gotten to as a roster, the Vikings, is more or less the ceiling. And some of that has required – you know, hitting on a draft pick at wide receiver that was so good that, the, I mean, he's you know on a rookie deal and playing like the best receiver in the NFL to elevate Kirk Cousins and to make the team a lot better. And, and then they've had a season where they have gotten incredibly fortunate in one-score games and a lot of those other elements. That's sort of the ceiling when you're paying a quarterback a ton of money that you're hoping plays at like an above-average level as his, as his peak. He can't play at an elite level. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways with Wilson that they wind up restructuring, they extend, they keep him for five years at this point. I'm arguing after one year, they should be planning to be out after three, as opposed to what the Vikings have done with Kirk Cousins, continue to extend it. Again, weird example with the Vikings because they're actually winning games and going to the postseason. But assuming the general consensus about their actual luck with their win-loss record proves to be true when they don't you know, go win the Super Bowl, I think you can argue that that's what you're hoping for in these scenarios is you get lucky in the regular season, you make a postseason run um, as sort of the ceiling outcome. It's not really a, a great team building philosophy, but uh, you know, still, still possible. Just not necessarily where you'd want to be over a multi-year span. And I think we can at least give the Broncos credit for the fact that their philosophy was not to be mediocre or just good enough, as I think you could maybe make the case with the Vikings and the Commanders and some of those teams. The move for Russell Wilson was to be a powerhouse Super Bowl contender. Unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition, and now it's very clear that it can't. Yeah, that's the really interesting part is they have a lot of good players on rookie contracts still, right? And and they thought they had a team that was a quarterback away, and that was the idea, and it has not panned out. But my argument is when you throw in this really high-priced quarterback, you need rookie contracts around them. They had those in place to, to be able to make the cap work. You need players performing a lot higher than what they're getting paid, frankly, at other spots. Wilson couldn't even play to a level that that would then work, right? And even a Kirk Cousins level. 
And so you have to make that decision now that you're certainly not going to be able to plan to be that good two, three years from now when you don't even have draft picks. You've lost your first round pick for next year. You're not going to be able to, you know, restock. That's why I think they need to go out and get more draft picks and find new players on new rookie deals, essentially. I mean, it's, it's you know, kind of callous to say it this way, but the guys like Jerry Judy who are going to be due for extensions in these next couple of years aren't going to probably win with Russell Wilson. It's just not going to align now. And you're probably not going to win with Russell Wilson anyway. But I, I don't know. I, I thought that was a, an interesting discussion, Sean. I'm sorry to, to pull you in and pull the listeners into to a really long discussion about you know team building and all of that. But it is uh, it's I think it's fascinating. It is, and it, it does relate back to some of the things we talk about for dynasty. It, the thing that you need, in addition to this young genius head coach, is you need to have that from the general manager perspective as well, because there are all different types of deals available for guys like a Javante Williams for a Jerry Judy. And you say, well, you can't move all of these guys and replace them and have a team, but you don't know if the best offers are going to come for a Cortland Sutton. You don't know if you're going to be able to move a Tim Patrick after the injury. You don't know if Jerry Judy needing an extension at some point down the line. You think about the massive compensation packages that the elite receivers have gotten recently and how that instigated this round of trades recently you need someone who has the mental flexibility to take all of these things as unique individual opportunities and consistently make the moves that bring back the most value for your franchise and not to make mistakes because you contrast some of these decisions with where the chicago bears are for example where they've moved some of their stars in order to load back up with picks and potential value for the future. And yet at the same time, added to Valus Jones, made the trade for Chase Claypool. You can say again, I mean, maybe those aren't huge mistakes, but every little bit, and you think about the criticism of the Christian McCaffrey trade, which I believe is misguided, but the criticism of that trade comes from a place where people do realize that picks and you know, future value is important. Well, the picks that were moved for McCaffrey you compare them to the Claypool and Jones acquisitions for the Bears, and there's a big chunk of that that would represent those two guys, and already it seems very unlikely that either of those players will contribute. So you've given away some of the value that you get from moving like actual big impact players. You have to consistently make high-value moves all the way through because you don't get an infinite number of chances and you don't have an infinite window to where you can have all of these fairly clear-cut mistakes and still get your team back where you need to be. Right. That is a great point, too, the infinite window comment, because you have so many moving parts on an NFL roster. You have to be able to get contributions from everywhere. You can have fatal flaws on defense or in your skill position group or wherever. You can be one injury away from fatal flaws. You'd love to be stacking enough depth that if injuries occur, you can still plug and play the next good player. It requires a lot on a 53-man roster, and it requires a lot of – savvy navigating of the nfl salary cap and the way that it works i mean it's it's an interesting puzzle to try to build an nfl team and then one of the things that happens is you can build it and you can keep stacking it but then people need extensions and then there's more money that's owed and your window is not actually that wide unless you're able to stack it really delicately that's part of the problem with what denver has here is they got a lot of players that are good and they still couldn't win you know they did get hit with some injuries and some things but they were supposed to have a couple year window here. It looks like it immediately slammed shut, which is a really, you know, pretty unfortunate for them. Another team that suddenly, surprisingly, 
has a little bit of a competitive streak in them this year that I want to talk about today that I think is really interesting is the Washington Commanders, who are going back to Carson Wentz this week. They benched Taylor Heineke finally. We've talked on the show 100 times about it. Taylor Heineke has not played as well as his win-loss record would convince people who aren't watching would suggest that he is playing. But they have enough talent. I mean, John Dotson has been playing great these last few weeks. John, you've been st- stayed optimistic on him throughout his you know injuries and issues. Just based on the little stuff that we saw in the first couple of weeks from him, he's been Really great for anyone who's needed to use him or had him on best ball teams in these last three weeks. Terry McLaurin playing much, much better. Curtis Samuel ends up scoring after Carson Wentz comes back in. He seems to have that connection with Wentz because, you know, he was doing well early this year when Wentz was in that quarterback. But Wentz isn't the answer. We already saw that. We already showed that. They've already made so many comments about his presence in the clubhouse and everything that has led anyone who's paying attention to then say, well, I mean, that's what they said after he left Indianapolis, and that's what they said after he left Philadelphia. So Carson Wentz, probably not the answer anywhere at this point. Most teams that have him as their quarterback seem to not like him, frankly, almost more than Russell Wilson, if you want to be you know, completely blunt about it. Taylor Heineke, unfortunately, also not the answer, and that has come to pass over these last few weeks. They've lost a couple games, potentially winnable ones. They did go five and one in his first six starts, which was you know somewhat fluky. They won by two, they won by one, they beat Philadelphia by eleven, but that was because of some late game stuff where they almost could have lost that game. They beat Houston, they beat Atlanta by six. Some close games, some games with some fluky late game stuff. They end up tying the Giants, then losing to the Giants, losing to San Fran this last week. And again, Heineke gets benched, even though as a starter he's now five three and one. I mean, he's looked good, better than Wentz. But they're going back to once because they're seven and seven and one. They're playing to stay in the playoffs. They currently are in the playoffs. And they believe, and potentially rightfully so, that they can't probably go to Sam Howell right now. I think it's really interesting to discuss Sam Howell because he's a guy, obviously, Sean, we like. We talked about him a lot in our draft stream. We've talked about him all offseason. We thought he looked really good in the preseason. I think that's an organization that has made a, a big mistake where they basically got found money by by drafting this guy in the fifth round. You have to be aware enough to know that there are evaluators that had him with a day two grade. Some had him as a first round quarterback. I mean, we talked about this all offseason, this class, varying opinions, and they ended up falling in the draft. You draft him in the fifth round, you have to be aware that he's potentially more than that. We go back to his prospect profile, three-year guy like we wanted. He was a really good passer the first couple of years, loses all his skill position guys. Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Deami Brown all go to the NFL. His third year, passing numbers come down, but he runs for like 800 yards and 11 touchdown. He's able to get there multiple ways throughout his three-year college career. He's still young, potentially a high upside player that has shown an ability to lead an offense and be successful both as a passer and a runner, which is great for the modern NFL and look good in the preseason. And the, and Washington has treated him all season like they just drafted some run-of-the-mill fifth-round developmental quarterback. Like a Bailey Zappi or a Brock Purdy? Who are also playing and they're playing half-decent. Exactly. I mean, the, I was going to bring up Zappi. That's an organization that is willing – I mean, injuries sort of forced it, but they were willing to go to him and see. When Mac Jones played poor when he came back, they benched him and put Zappi back in to get a longer look at him. I'm not saying how it would have definitely hit. I am saying – the two quarterbacks you've played all year have been terrible, absolutely terrible. And you're in playoff contention and you have a prospect that you haven't even let play a snap this season. 
How do you get to this point in the year with the, the type of quarterback play you've gotten all year and the rest of the roster playing well enough and some good fortune that you're in playoff contention and you haven't even seen what you've gotten out of that guy to where when you get ready to bench Taylor Heineke, you might be able to then go to, to Sam Howell if you had at least played him in some of these games and seen what he has for you know to, to offer. Instead, they probably feel like they cannot do that. They have to go back to Carson Wentz. It would be pretty tough to throw Howell into the Week 17 game. They do have two home games in a row. I kind of feel like they still should have done that anyway, played Sam Howell in these last two games. You're not going to the playoffs with Carson Wentz, and if you do, you're not going to win the freaking Super Bowl. You want to do something surprising. It's got to be this high-variance play that Sam Howell is. But how do you get to this point in the season? And, again, I think it's an error from a team perspective where they get this lucky break, essentially, that he falls all the way to the first or second pick of the fifth round. And I've had some people in my mentions say, oh, he's probably not very good. I mean, maybe he's not. The NFL tried to uh, essentially told us that. The evaluators, a lot of teams didn't want to draft him. Maybe there are real issues. But his profile suggests that he is interesting, right? His preseason play suggested that he was interesting. I You can't be certain that he's not. We don't know about quarterback play well enough to be certain that he's not. You can be certain that Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke aren't the answer, I think. I mean, not certain, but very, very confident. Based on the extended runs you've given those guys, how are we in a situation where Sam Howell has not played a snap this year? I think it really does come back again to the mixed incentives that you get within an organization where the coaching staff feels like if we make the playoffs, they can't fire us. And I mean, obviously they can, and you do every once in a while see that, but they may be getting those signals. I mean, you could have completely different ownership in Washington. There's, there are so many uncertainties there, but you have coaches who are coaching for their professional lives. And that part always makes it difficult. If you feel like it gives you that slightly better short-term opportunity. The problem that we come back to is what you mentioned several times is that we know for sure that neither Heineke nor Wentz can play. And I mentioned some of the stats with Russell Wilson that portray him in a very poor light. And the other guys who are kind of down there in that group, although they've split the season so they don't have as large as samples, are Heineke and Wentz. So they're absolutely awful, as you mentioned. Heineke actually has a much better air conversion than Wentz, despite also having a higher depth of target. He neutralizes, he allows more pressure because of the way he lets the plays develop, but doesn't take as many sacks per pressure as Wentz does. That's important because their team ranks up at the very top of the league in terms of blown block percentage in the passing game. But this is a team that is in the bottom five in terms of EPA per passing attempt. And you've given both guys a real shot. And you know the guy you just benched is the better player. And not just the better player, but he's the more competitive player. So if you're talking about, I mean, you and I have joked on the show, and, and I, you know, sarcastically gave you a hard time in multiple instances about Taylor Heineke because when I mean, he wins, well, I mean, obviously he's not good. And obviously the team is winning mostly in spite of him. But the fact that you can actually count on him to make heroic plays and gutsy plays and competitive plays, even if they're mostly bad plays, <laughs> at the end of games is huge. Now you're going to someone who's just objectively worse and also won't make those plays. The issue that you have with the commanders is they actually still have a pretty easy path in many ways to the playoffs. Now you pull up 538 and you see that they have just a 29% chance of making the playoffs because there are now so many teams involved in the race for that last spot. But unlike the vast majority of those other teams, because of that tie, 
there are paths where they only have to win one of their last two games, which isn't true of most of the others. You're going to need to have a specific path laid out for you where the other teams lose kind of in the right order and against the right opponents. But if you are in a situation now where you only need to win once and there is at least a scenario where you make it, I mean, you're thinking like, who gives the best chance to win once? I mean, you and I would both argue that it's got to be Sam Howell still. But I mean, the, the big uncertainty here, the unknown is just that we haven't seen him practice. And so we don't really know what's going on. I mean, if he looks in practice like Zach Wilson looks in NFL football games, then, you know, you wouldn't be able to put him in there. You think about some of the other guys who have struggled. I mean, Desmond Ritter has done some interesting things, but obviously hasn't lit the Falcons offense on fire. I mean, the very clear thing there is that the Falcons, number one, needed to throw the ball more all season just to develop their actual important players. Number two, if they weren't going to throw the ball with Marcus Mariota, they needed to go to Desmond Ritter. If they weren't going to win, which they obviously weren't because their team top to bottom, and that's a very weak overall roster. And so you're not going to win. You need to see who you have in Ritter. I mean, the counter argument would just be, well, we basically know that we need to have a new quarterback next year. So it doesn't benefit us or the coaching staff to put him in there. And you think about Malik Willis and how, I mean, now it looks overwhelmingly likely like that the Jacksonville Jaguars will make the players make the playoffs out of the AFC South because Willis is not ready to play and be an NFL quarterback. If Howell fits into kind of that group, then yeah, I mean, you just, you wouldn't want to put him in there. But, and maybe it's exuberance on my part, but I, we thought he was the best prospect because he has some mobility, but also can throw. I mean, he's essentially what you described with Heineke in terms of the competitiveness. That's the way he played in college. I think you put him in, you actually expect him to be able to make plays in both elements of it. One of the things that once probably does do better than Heineke is kind of throw the ball down the field. Heineke often just kind of chucks it up there. He gives you the grittiness and the scrambling ability and he can still pass to a certain level, but I think he's very limited as a passer. A lot of turnover. Where well, McLaurin managers would are, are pretty disagree. devastated going into the finals. Sure. <laughs> they would disagree. Those guys had a great rapport. Yeah. In part because he would just throw the lobs up there. And McLaurin's like, thank you. Somebody yeah. gave me a chance. But I think of Howell like a Heineke mold player where you, you know, he can be competitive on a third down. He can go out there and scramble for the first down. He's got the mobility. You, you compare him to Willis. Like Willis has actually shown, ability to run a little bit the mobility just isn't ready as a passer the hope would be that Howell would be able to be more ready as a passer those are good examples and if he's in that scenario that's a bad thing but you also look at a guy like a Brock Purdy who's succeeding enough that they're winning games and he's not but never was expected to be as good of a prospect as the rest of those guys the situation is a fantastic one good offensive line good weapons and he's not being asked to do too too much the fact that Washington has been a winning situation for most of the year, as opposed to like Tennessee is just kind of a bad team, frankly, right now, especially without Traylon Burks. Um, the Falcons, bad team. I mean, Ritter's been able to get the ball to Drake London a little bit, but just not a lot there to, to support a quarterback actually playing to a you know, particular level. I, I mean, I agree with basically everything you said, and especially the part where we have not seen him in practice. And it's a, Strong possibility that I'm just too excited about what he actually is or could be. But I think from a coaching perspective, there's almost no question to me, even as you were talking about they have to coach for their lives, there's almost no question to me that the high-variance move is still the right move. If you want, Where do you get from here? Even if Carson Wentz wins you one of these games, and they put the Browns and the Cowboys at home, that Cowboy game in Week 18 could mean nothing for the Cowboys, probably will. 
and it will be a scenario where the Cowboys don't have a bye. Some teams might still play their starters week 18 because they have a bye the next week. Like, you know, I don't know if the Eagles will be in that position. They don't want two weeks off. Cowboys are probably going to bench everyone for that game because they're going to say, look, we just want to get ready for the wild card weekend a week later. Treat it as a bye. Washington has the potential to win two games in a row. They're both home games. But even if you win those and you get in, you're not going anywhere with Carson Wentz. You're losing on wild card weekend, almost guaranteed. He's not going to go win you a road playoff game. And even if he does, he's certainly not winning you two, right? Like some fluky things can happen. He could win you one. He's not going to win you two. Heineke, as you said, is the better option for that, to potentially just be competitive enough that you can get somewhere. Howell is the option where you actually wind up getting extended as the head coach, right? You actually wind up having hit on something that matters long-term, that has upside for you. And again, there's a self-preservation thing, but it gets back to the types of in-game decisions coaches make where their self-preservation decisions are just way too conservative because they think that's the move they have to make. What is the upside? You're just prolonging defeat. You're prolonging your getting yourself getting fired, essentially. I mean, maybe you're good enough to get into the offseason and then you draft a really good quarterback. I mean, that's really the path you're trying to navigate, but you don't have a top pick now either. So what is... What is the solution here long-term? The solution is actually finding something. And again, you get back to what I was talking about with like Bill Belichick. He's a lot of things and a lot of people overstate what he is and whatever. And some people think that we, you know, we all talk too favorably about Belichick, but I think he understood at various points throughout the season. And over the last couple seasons, you got to find some at quarterback. He's tried a lot of things. He's tried Cam Newton in a completely different type of offense and hoped to catch some late career Cam Newton success in a bottle right in 2020 he's tried mac jones he's, he's been willing to try bailey zappi and even benjamin mac jones for bailey zappi he's trying to find something because you have to hit on something you can't just keep throwing carson Wentz out there and I, I just think that's not even the answer to save your own ass the interesting thing about them picking sam howell is that you don't necessarily get the sense that they even had that high grade on him because they don't seem that enthusiastic about him. There were teams that didn't need quarterbacks that had high grades on Sam Howell. There are going to be quarterbacks taken in the top 20 picks of this year's draft who are not as good a prospect as Sam Howell was. The question for Howell that you do hear from evaluators is can he run an NFL offense? But when you have arm strength, when you have accuracy, when you have this elite athleticism and the ability to move the ball in various ways. When you think about the time that it took someone like a Josh Allen to go from sort of a malign pick, a questionable prospect, an inaccurate young passer at the NFL level to now this unicorn who's unstoppable and appears to, I mean, if you didn't have this you know, wonderful Bengals team and Patrick Mahomes, you'd be talking about the bills as maybe putting together a dynasty that rivals you know, the old 49ers and, and some of those types of teams, right? Sam Howell is that in a smaller package. And the smaller package obviously is a concern, but when I mean, you think about all the criticism that people and, and we have given Pete Carroll over the years, one of the things he was willing to do was to quickly go to Russell Wilson when it became clear that a, a young Wilson had strengths that you could magnify and play through and you didn't have to run a real NFL offense. Some of these teams get so locked into, and you know, to his credit, and I mean, there were issues with Kyle Shanahan, obviously, with some of their other quarterbacks who uh, did immediately wash out of the NFL. Some some big names, but when he had RG three, 
there as a rookie. He didn't say, you've got to run the same offense that I just lit the world on fire with, with a Matt Schaub. He said, these are your strengths, and we're going to build an offense that we can win with with you. If you're telling me that someone with Sam Howell's arm talent and leg talent and competitiveness doesn't give you the best chance to win in these games, then it's a coaching problem. And again, I think that comes back to what are the incentives and are you concerned about being exposed in terms of your coaching acumen and the guys that you actually have working with you on the offensive side and then where that cutoff is in terms of what your goals should be. Because as you laid it out, you go to the playoffs, you make the wild card, you get annihilated. Does that help you achieve the big goal of making – I mean – not everybody can win the Super Bowl. You can't have everything be Super Bowl or bust. Your fans do like it when you make the playoffs. It will be exciting to be in a playoff game. But you need to be looking to be in that final eight, to be in the NFC Championship game, to give yourself a chance at the Super Bowl. And if you go into – I think it's a hard thing maybe for fans, and maybe it's easy for us because we don't care that much one way or another, specifically about the Washington Commanders. But the biggest question that Washington needs to answer – before 2023 is not whether or not they actually make the playoffs, but if Sam Howell can play. And now he sat on the sidelines for a year. I mean, you had Patrick Mahomes sit on the sidelines for a year, go out with no players in week 17 and easily beat one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Sam Howell, if he can play, has two shots to do that, and he could really change things. Right. And I think you should but you're have not going to see I mean, that now. I think you should have done earlier. I, I, I'm sounding like a Sam Howell super fan and, and – Sean, we probably sound a little bit like we think we know the Sam Howell is going to be good or we know what's best or what have you. What I want to emphasize about this whole discussion is the mistake that I think is being made is one of too much certainty on Washington's point of view. Because what they've already admitted to us with their actions is they know or they believe Carson Wentz is not the answer. And they also now have admitted to us that they believe Taylor Heineke is not the answer. I didn't have as much of an issue with the Taylor Heineke stuff, even though we've been joking about it, when he was winning games, because maybe they thought he was the answer. But now that they went and benched him during this game, when he was at that time 5-2-1 and one as a starter, it, it makes it pretty crystal clear that they have had concerns about his play, even as they've been winning games over the last couple of months, the same concerns that we discussed. They have now made it clear. They feel pretty confident that neither of these guys is the answer. What they are certain or telling us that they are certain about is that Sam Howell's not the answer either, but they haven't even given him a shot. And that's the whole point that I want to make is I, as much as I'm sitting here talking, like I know Sam Howell's good. I don't, I have no idea. Like you said, we haven't seen him in practice. We don't know anything, frankly, very, very little, just his prospect profile and some of these elements. But what I want to emphasize is I feel like coaches make these decisions in a poor way because they are sure of things or they think they're sure of things. It's, it's a lack of humility, really. Like, Maybe you're wrong about what that third quarterback is. Let yourself find out. And again, I go back to the game where Mac Jones was benched and, and Belichick was willing to bring in Zappi. That's what I think he was doing there. I mean, he kind of already felt like what Zappi did in competing in that game in Lambeau wasn't really enough to continue to start. But he was also willing to say, "I maybe I need to see more reps because Mac Jones isn't the answer. And I, I just... You got to see it. You got to put reps on film. You you, talk, you hear good coaches talk about that. We need to actually see these guys playing games. Washington is, for as much as I sound like the extremely certain one here that I know what's best, Washington is the party here in this scenario that is way too certain about things. 
and all we're discussing is you've already told us from everything you know internally in the locker room as a personality, as a competitor, as you brought up, Sean, and as a player that Carson Wentz is not your answer. Going back to him is just such a poor decision. Well, I think the the other thing, too, in, in addition to the certainty, is a risk aversion that misunderstands risk. And that was one of the things that always would come up in fourth down discussions before the analytics became very heavy and coaches were willing to do it. One of the things you would hear, too, is just, I mean, maybe it even makes sense from a percentage basis, but if you go for on fourth down and don't get it, you're going to crush your team's spirit. And you couldn't do it from a human perspective. Well, as soon as teams start to do these things, then you realize none of that is actually true. To be risk-averse in a situation where you misunderstand the risks compounds the problems that you're dealing with. And again, to your point about they obviously didn't believe in Heineke, I mean, they benched him in a game where he's playing one of the NFL's best defenses and before that pick was averaging over nine yards per attempt and had thrown two touchdown passes. I mean, he was playing a marvelous game. He has a bad pass and he gets benched. I mean, they were obviously ready to pull the trigger. They bench him for Wentz at a spot where they're down 16 with about 10 minutes to play. Wentz goes down and leads a touchdown drive. They did not get the two-point conversion. And the Niners come back and score and, and end up winning by 17. But had they gotten the ball back, I mean, there was still about five minutes left. They'd cut the game to 10 points. The game's not over, is I think fair to say. But was was likely over. But they benched him, and, and they decided that he's not going to start this week. I mean, is the other element of that, right? Like, they didn't just think that he played bad in this game or what have you. They pulled the plug on on Taylor Heineke as their best option to win. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. His, his numbers in this game, I'm just, like, looking it up, but his numbers in this game were actually fine on paper. Yeah, anyway, I, I just think there's a, another really fascinating one. There's a lot of fascinating team ones. We've talked about the 2022 offseason a ton and how it was so – massive for the way that the NFL is going to shift, but there are reverberations still when that much happens in one off season, there's still more that's going to happen. Russell Wilson doesn't fit. Now what for the Broncos? Carson Wentz doesn't fit. Now what for Washington? We talked about the jets having to make a decision with Zach Wilson all the way back in the off season. Talk about how good their skill position group already looked. It has played out that way. They're going to be moving on from Zach Wilson. What they decide to do will be very important. And And you mentioned they look very well set up. Talked about the Lions similarly. They haven't really played Jameson Williams yet, but they're set up well. What do they do? Jared Goff's played well. That's a a different scenario. They might keep Goff. They might also be looking at adding a quarterback. And they have a lot of needs on defense. I mean, you look at what they surrendered through the air most of the season and then how they were gashed by Hubbard and Foreman. To think that the backup running backs behind Christian McCaffrey would just humiliate a team that was on fire in week 16 and push the Panthers to the brink of the playoffs. Kind of crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. 300 yards on the ground from the Panthers in that one. But another fun team to look at what will happen next there. I mean, it's going to be a really fun offseason to break down again this year. And a fun class coming in. A lot of quarterback prospects, right? A lot of discussion around that. Probably some big trades, somebody moving up because not a lot of the teams near the top necessarily need a quarterback. Some do. I mean, Seahawks, another team. They have the Broncos pick. They're sitting in like third pick right now, but they also have Geno Smith as a potential extension candidate. What do they do there? So anyway, a lot of these fun spots around the league to discuss, to think about for the future. The Niners keeps getting brought up. What's going to happen with Trey Lance? Fun to think about from a team building perspective, how these teams should operate, how they do operate. 
I like to tweet about these things from time to time. They seem to get some pretty good engagement. I get a lot of thoughts from followers and listeners of the show that you guys tend to like these discussions. So hopefully you enjoyed this one as well. The whole concept of NFL team building and all that is becoming a lot more, I think, discussed and a, and a lot more interesting to talk about as it's opening up more. This is a fun one. It's always fun to, to get your thoughts on this stuff, Sean. Yeah, and as you mentioned, so much going on right now. So many relevant stories in fantasy. You're obviously writing about those over at Stealing Signals. I'm writing about them over at Rotoviz with the rest of the gang. Ben, you also have Stealing Lines that listeners can sign up for. And you'll want to make sure that you do that. We have the coupon code RV Radio 2022 that gives you a 25% discount to the one month pass. If you're wanting to check out some of the tools that I mentioned on the show today, not as expensive to do it in here in December. If you forgot someone's Christmas present, stealing signals, stealing lines, rotaviz, those are great presents to give out. But mostly, we wish you guys again a happy holidays. More celebrations coming up here at the end of the week. Week 17 and the fantasy championships right on the verge. We want to wish you good luck in all of those. We've heard from so many people who have something cool to play for. And so we're thinking of all of you as we go down the stretch this week. That'll do it for days. Steel and I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. We love you guys. Talk to you soon.